0: Bibles, if you're not yet there, to Deuteronomy 5. I'll read our passage for this morning, and then uh, we'll pray. Deuteronomy 5, starting in verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it... Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what we have already received through song, through the reading of your Word. I pray now that as we come underneath the authority of your Word, that we would be helped, that we would be directed towards true rest, that we would understand where we might find rest. That even as we have already sung, that we would understand that Christ is enough. That we need, to, we need not add anything to what you've already completed, to what you've already done. The work, as Joel mentioned, is finished. May we see that this morning in your word. May you help us to see Christ clearly this morning. May we exalt and glorify Him this morning. May we leave with hearts full because of what a good God we have, what a good Savior we have. I pray your Spirit would help us. May we be attentive and ready to hear. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. A number of weeks ago, I uh, got to perform a funeral for a uh, family member, see my grandfather's brother. And my text for that service was Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Jesus, a uh, familiar text here. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a familiar passage, and we see very clearly Jesus' invitation, come to me. But it's laden with promises. I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Our burdens, our labors, our efforts, our lives do not feel very light sometimes. Many of you come this morning with heavy things on your shoulders, heavy things on your hearts, heavy things on your minds. You're honestly exhausted, if you were really honest, tired, um, tired of carrying some of the things that you're carrying, some of the anxieties that you're carrying, some of the worries that you're carrying. What if this happens? What if this goes this way? What if the diagnosis is this? How much longer will he or she have? What do we do about this or that? And all kinds of other little worries we come with, things you're worried about for this week, everything else. And as Joel alluded to, we we desire rest and we seek after rest in all kinds of ways um we uh i say rather lightheartedly sometimes we think rest means a bag of potato chips in the couch and it seems restful for a while until you feel just absolutely horrible that you just ate the entire bag of potato chips <laughs> and then you don't feel very restful anymore but that that rest is fleeting that can't be that can't be this kind of rest that's talked about in Scripture, sometimes we just pray for a good night's sleep, and we wake up feeling like, well, I actually had one. But then the day comes, and you think, well, that didn't even really matter, because now here we are, back into the, the stuff. That can't be the rest either. Sometimes you have good vacations where, boy, that was so refreshing, and that was good and enjoyable, and but then... <laughs> You come home, and you need another vacation um, from coming home and getting back into things. That can't be the rest either. Sometimes retirement, I'm sure, promises all kinds of rest and golf and relaxation and enjoyment. But then you realize, well, this isn't very restful. Um, I'm falling apart, and this or that isn't going well. This, isn't, this can't be the rest that is talked about. Jesus promises rest for your souls. That's what we desire. That's what we want. Even people that don't know they want this want this. This is what everyone is searching after in some ways. But only God promises, and only God can deliver. Lots of things promise it, promise this, but only God can deliver on that promise. And in our passage here in Deuteronomy 5, the Sabbath um, is, is leading us towards this idea of rest. That's what God is after here. But this, this whole topic, uh, for many of you, because of your backgrounds in this area, your family background, um, is, is kind of convoluted. What do we do with the Sabbath? How do we observe the Sabbath. What does that mean? And so I I want to take some time to um, sort of run through a number of passages this morning in hopes to help us see uh, how we are to apply this to our lives today. In a sense, we're doing the exact same thing we've done with every other commandment. We are trying to understand what it meant what it now means for us through Christ, and how we are to obey it. Because it still holds. It's still something that we must obey. There's still something here for us. But we need to understand it through the lens of Christ. So let's walk through these uh, few verses, and then we're going to be in a number of places. So hopefully you've done your exercises this morning, and you're ready to turn some pages. You'll need a Sabbath once we're done. <laughs> uh, observe the Sabbath day. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Observe, remember, keep the Sabbath day. He's, you know, we, if, if you have a calendar, you get those free calendars from places that talks about when different holidays are observed on, when they're celebrated on, whatever observe keep it commemorate it do it observe the sabbath day to keep it holy as the lord your god commanded you remember that this is deuteronomy 5 is a is 40 years after the first time that the lord gave uh, the Ten Commandments. This is Moses' sermon, if you will, reminding the Israelites of what God has already said. And so when he says at the end of verse 12, as the Lord your God commanded you, he's referencing back when he stood there on, uh, from Mount Sinai and, and told the people the first time, as the Lord your God commanded you. This is something that he told you. And remember, this is a new generation that's hearing this. And so some of them weren't there. But yet Moses is saying... The Lord really, through Moses, is saying, the Lord your God commanded you. No, you weren't there, but it's for you. You weren't standing there, perhaps, with your parents, but this is for you still as well. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Sabbath comes from a verb. The word Sabbath comes from a a Hebrew verb meaning stop, cease, or rest And so you'll find in a a balance here between the way that the Lord is, is trying to emphasize what this is all about is a mixture between stopping and keeping holy. It's in some ways can be understood as the stopping day. Observe the stopping day, the ceasing day, the resting day. And rest... Again, we have to, I'm going to use rest in a certain way as we talk about this. Rest, I've been, and I even, the way I started, i talk about rest in the sense of we're going to relax, we're going to enjoy, we're going to get refreshed. But rest also means I'm stopping from something, right? When you're working throughout the day, you take a moment to rest. Yes, you're refreshing, but you're also stopping doing whatever it is that you were doing for a moment. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor, verse 13, and do all your work. This is the first time in the Ten Commandments thus far that this is a positive command. We see here in this particular commandment. Number one, observe the Sabbath day. But number two, six days you shall labor and do your work. In other words, God's saying, work, work, do work. Inherent in that. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So there's work to be done. There's things to do. Our whole life is not resting. Physically at least. Or in the sense of our responsibilities and duties. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh, verse 14, seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It is a Sabbath to God. Notice it's to God. The Sabbath, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Think about the, the use of that, that word to. It's a Sabbath. It's a resting. It's a pause. It's a stopping. It's a ceasing to the Lord your God. Any other reason to rest is not the Sabbath. Any other reason to stop doing your work is not this. Any other thing that you're filling with, Israel, any other thing that you're filling your time with, that you're not doing it to the Lord your God, is not this, is not observing the Sabbath and keeping it holy. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. And just in case... (laughs) somebody tried to find a loophole, you know. Um, Well, so-and-so wasn't mentioned. No, literally, look at all the people that are mentioned. You, yourself, your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your ox, your donkey, any of your livestock, the sojourner or the traveler who is within your gates. Nobody's working. But we get this extra phrase at the end of verse 14 that's not in the original giving of this commandment that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you there's sort of a leveling that happens on the sabbath that's what it was intended for everybody's resting it's not certain classes certain people certain things are resting look at it even the ox is ox and the donkey and the livestock are all resting everybody's resting as a sabbath to the lord their god Male servants and female servants are to rest as well. And then verse 15, which is not found uh, in the original either. It's different. You shall remember that you were a slave or a servant in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Now, back in verse 6, remember how the Lord begins? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He introduces himself. In this way, both his name, but also what he has done before he has commanded anything, before he has said anything, he tells them who he is and what he's done. He's brought you out. He's brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 15, why should we observe the Sabbath day? You shall remember, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Every Sabbath day, Israel is what he's saying. Every Sabbath day, remember that you were slaves and I brought you out. That's how you can observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's how you can make the seventh day a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Remember, you were a slave. And the Lord your God brought you out from there. How? With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He did it on his own might, his own abilities, his own power, his own miracles, his own everything. He did it. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Again, reminding them of what they've already been reminded to do and told to do way back 40 years ago. And so we could come from that and say okay, they're to rest, they're not to work. Six days they are to work. On the seventh day, they are to rest. They are to keep a Sabbath, a resting day, a pausing day, stop from their work. Everybody included in their household, everybody that's within their gates, as it said, even their livestock, all their animals, everybody's to rest to the Lord on that day. Okay. I mentioned a couple of the differences between the original and this here. Keep your finger here, and let's turn back to Exodus 20. I want you to just see it back in the context here, Exodus 20. Particularly, I, I want to look at verse 11. Because verse 11 is not given as a justification or a reason for why they are to observe the Sabbath in Deuteronomy 5. doesn't mean that it's, it's been thrown out, but there's a purpose there. Verse 11 of Exodus 20. After the Sabbath day command, it says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And we'll be there soon enough, but particularly that last phrase is uh, almost a direct quote from Genesis chapter 2. And of course it's referring to Genesis chapter 2 after the Lord did Make heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. This is the justification given the first time that the law is given to the Israelites at Mount Sinai. The justification as to why they are to keep the Sabbath day is rooted in the fact that their God rested after six days of creation, after six days of His work. His work was complete, He rested. That was the reason why they were to do it. But notice in Deuteronomy 5, as we've already read, the justification is. Why you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt because for that generation they were their whole existence hung on the fact that God rescued them out of slavery everything they were imagine all they talked about remember when God took us out of Egypt even if they sometimes felt tempted to go back to Egypt we wish we were back there only if we had onions and leeks like we did in Egypt right But yet, even still, as they would sit and talk, this is this is what defined them. It was a defining moment for them. And so, as they paused for the Sabbath day, now in this new generation, they were to remember that they were slaves in the land of Egypt. Of course, inherent in that is the fact that their God rested. But now, it's something that is 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 true and uh, uh, relevant for them. You were a slave. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So as you observe it, remember that. I uh, did a lot of reading uh, in preparation for this morning, just trying to survey different ideas about the Sabbath, because many of you, if we took a survey here this morning and I asked you two questions, what is, this, what is the Sabbath and how do you keep it? I would assume that we would get all kinds of interesting answers. This morning, based on your backgrounds, based on your uh, particular bents, your own ideas of uh, things that you're convicted of in your conscience, so on and so forth. But what was standard pretty much throughout all of the stuff that I've been reading is that it's rooted back in creation, just as Exodus links us back to. So Genesis chapter 2, right at the beginning of the chapter, God finishes his work. Genesis 2 and verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, nowhere is the word Sabbath used. The verb from which the word Sabbath comes is there twice. See it in verse 2. He rested on the seventh day. Verse 3, He because on it God rested. That verb is used, but the word Sabbath, the noun, if you will, is not there. In fact, you won't find that word Sabbath until Exodus chapter 16. And so what we see in Exodus 20 is... The Lord giving the command to observe the Sabbath, and he, and through Moses, he is commanding that they keep the Sabbath based on God's own inherent character, God's own purpose, God's own example. But it's important for us to understand God's resting. This is the same God of whom uh, Psalm, uh, the, the Psalms remind us in Psalm 121. Verses 3 and 4. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So God's resting did not involve a nap. He never sleeps, never slumbers, doesn't take a break. He doesn't stop being God for a while. And he didn't do that on the seventh day, right after creation. So we have to get after this whole thing of, what does it mean for God to rest? How does God rest? He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber, it says. That means that God is 100% all the time aware and involved. We're not deists. Deists believe that God created everything and then just step back and let it all happen. Right? We have to be careful that we're not functional deists, that we just don't think that that's maybe what happened, because it's not, that's not what the Word of God tells us. So what does it mean for God to rest? We also know from Hebrews 1, verse 3, that God, and particularly talking about Jesus, upholds the universe by the Word of His power. God is not only the Creator, but He is the sustainer of all things. So as you sit there and breathe in and out and your heart beats, and all that's going on in your body is happening, God's doing that. The little bugs that are flying around out there, God's doing that. The earth not spinning out of control, and us not all being flown off the earth because there's no gravity, God's doing that. The farthest universe that we can possibly imagine or see, or not see, God's upholding all of that by the word of his power, right now. And so on the seventh day, he was doing that. So he didn't stop being God. What does God's rest look like? Well, we're helped by the end of verse 3 in Genesis 2. On it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God had finished his work of creation on the sixth day. He rested from what? From what work? He rested from his work of creation. But he didn't stop being God. He didn't stop having all that it means, I I dare use this word, a sense of responsibility when it comes to God. He's not responsible to us, but he is responsible to his own character, his own nature, his own being. And so he's not going to stop being God when he rests. And so we have to think about some of those principles when we think about, okay, it's hinged on and it's rooted in God's own resting. We must not stop being who we are then in our rest. If we're to root it in the fact that God rested after creation, we don't just take a break from being who we are when we rest. Right? That's not rest, according to God. That's not how God rested. He rested from his work of creation, but he didn't rest from being God. He didn't rest from sustaining all things that he had just made. And by the way, God didn't rest. And doesn't still rest every seventh day. He did it once. in that particular thing, because it's tied to creation. It's tied to his work of creation. So we have to understand that before we can move any farther. So is the Sabbath rooted in creation? In some ways, yes it is. And I'm going to get to a a dichotomy here of uh, there's two different ways that we can understand the Sabbath. You You ever watch cooking shows? All these fancy cooking shows, I like the Food Network. Um, and Chopped, sometimes, you know, uh, some of you maybe you can't handle that because it's too stressful to watch. But uh, they'll always talk about, I'm making chicken two ways, or making shrimp two ways, which, who does that? Like, well, why do you need to have it two ways? Just eat chicken. But anyways, this whole idea of, of these, the two ways of that is sort of where my mind is going. Says something about me that I think about food when I'm trying to think about uh, something related to God. But I'm where I'm heading, and I want, you, I hope you can follow me. Is that I believe that the Scriptures talk about the Sabbath in two ways, and one of those we start to see coming, bubbling up from the surface here in Genesis two of a principle of. Sabbath. Again, the word is not there, but a lot of the elements of what it will be is there. And in Exodus 20, he inserts the word on the Sabbath day, right? God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. But in the text, in Genesis 2, it says the seventh day, not the Sabbath day. And so we have a sense that God in his unfolding revelation in Exodus 20, hinging back on his own creation, hinging back on his own rest, is now helping us to understand the principles inherent in his own rest, which we know means he did not stop being God, he did not stop being who he was, he did not stop with his own character and nature and responsibilities, as it means to be God. Therefore, we're to take those ideas as we think about the Sabbath, and so were the Israelites. But the other side of the Sabbath is this. This is the, the second way, if you will, of the Sabbath. Exodus, and chapter 31 as, as uh, the, the first time that the law is being given and as it's drawing to a close, right before the tablets were about to be given to Moses and he's to walk down and deliver them to the people. What's the last thing he talks about? The Sabbath. From uh, chapter 20 all the way till chapter 31, he's talked about all kinds of stuff. What's he finish on? The Sabbath. And he will enter in at uh, verse 16 of Exodus 31. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. There's two helpful words in these two verses that give us an indication about this other side of understanding the word Sabbath. The first is covenant, verse 16. Observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. The Sabbath had a particular relationship to the Mosaic Covenant. To the covenant that the Lord had made with the people of Israel through Moses. It's called the Mosaic Covenant which all of that covenant is building on the covenant that God had already made with Abraham and promising him all these wonderful things about making him a blessing, making him into a nation, blessing all the people that blessed him, cursing all the people that cursed him, and in him all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God is continuing to build upon those covenant promises that he made to Abraham in and through the Mosaic covenant. And the Mosaic covenant becomes a sort of bolt-on of Ordering the life of the Israelites so that they may be kept in a sense that they could receive all of the promises that were delivered to Abraham. But we of course know the whole story, that didn't work out, did it? And so God provided the one who could keep the covenant for us so that we could receive all of the promises there. But I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Let's rewind back, back here to Exodus. The Sabbath is to be observed throughout their generations for the Israelites as a covenant forever. That's an indication that this is, this is something different here. This is not just, hey, you guys ought to rest every seventh day. That'd be good for you. There's something inherent in the relationship that God has with the Israelites. It's a covenant. The second word that's helpful to us is in verse 17. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel. We know in the Abrahamic covenant, when in Genesis 17, we just talked about this a couple weeks ago on Wednesday nights, because we're going through the story of Abraham on Wednesday nights, the sign of the covenant with Abraham was circumcision. Anybody who's under the covenant, anybody who's part of the covenant of Abraham was to receive circumcision, any male. We know if you go back a little bit farther, all the way back to Noah, the covenant God made with Noah, there was a sign that indicated that covenant that the Lord had made. And he said, every time you see a rainbow, you're to be reminded of the covenant that I made that I will never again destroy the earth in a flood. And so God seems to continue to give signs and indication, um, a marker of covenants that people make. That's why we have rings. If you're married. And so the Sabbath, in this other way of understanding the Sabbath, remember there's two ways. There seems to be this principle of Sabbath, rest, that is bubbling up from Scripture. It indicates rest. It indicates uh, connecting to what God has already done, following his example, resting in that way, refreshing, recharging to the Lord, a sense of worship, a sense of remembering. right? But then this other way seems to be connected directly to the Mosaic Covenant. It's a sign of the covenant, in fact. And as they keep the Sabbath throughout their generations, they are keeping themselves underneath the Mosaic Covenant. So it's helpful for us to think about those two ways. So we might say, in one way, the Sabbath can be understood as an institution or a ceremony. The Sabbath occurred uh, on the seventh day, but if you read elsewhere in the Old Testament, in fact, turn with me to Leviticus 23, Leviticus 23 Leviticus 23 is a chapter that basically just walks through all of the major feasts and festivals that the Israelites were to follow. And if we spent the time going through all of that chapter, you would find in other places in the Old Testament, you would find that uh, oftentimes there's a reference to a Sabbath that's not on the seventh day. It's inherent inside of a festival. You're to keep a Sabbath that's somehow connected to this particular festival. And so it's all rooted in the festivals. But the very first festival that's mentioned in Leviticus 23 is what? The Sabbath. The very first institution or ceremony or thing, the most important thing that the Israelites were to keep was the Sabbath. Start of verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations or remembering times. They are my appointed feasts. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. It's literally saying it's a rest of rest. It's a Sabbath of Sabbaths. A holy convocation, a holy remembering time. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. The first thing that's mentioned... In all of these feasts, all of these festivals, all of these ordinances, all of these ceremonies that the Israelites were to follow was the Sabbath. And so in one sense, we can understand the Sabbath as this institution, this ceremony that's directly connected for the Israelite people to the covenant that God made with them. These other Sabbaths that occur on other days tell us, again, it's another hint that... It's very connected to the ceremony of, of everything that they were to do as Israelites. Exodus 16. Turn with me back to Exodus 16. This is I mentioned it already. It's the first place that the word Sabbath is used. And this gets after this is before Exodus 20, obviously, right? Sixteen becomes before 20. This is before it's mentioned. But the word Sabbath is used here for the first time, and I think it's going back to its connection to creation, but also you'll see something that's connected very much so to the reason given in Deuteronomy 5, Exodus 16 and verse 23. All right, This is when bread is literally coming out of heaven. He said to them, This is what the Lord had commanded, verse 23 of Exodus 16. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. They were were given a process, a pattern of collect all the bread on the sixth day, collect double portion, bake it up, get it ready for the next day because don't don't get the bread that's out there on the Sabbath because it's going to rot. Don't try to go out there and get it, right? It's a holy Sabbath. It's a day of solemn rest. But think about what's happening here. The Lord is, is giving bread out of heaven. <laughs> We're like, well, yeah, it's, you know, that's what he did. Think about that for a minute. Bread out of heaven. This isn't like some crusty junk that's on the ground that, you know, dig up, I guess we can eat that. This is bread coming out of heaven for them to eat. This is the Lord's provision, the Lord's, in many ways, deliverance. I'm not going to bring my people out to the wilderness to let them starve. I'm going to provide bread from heaven for them so that they may eat. And therefore, on the seventh day, you're going to rest, and you're going to collect enough, and as you eat that bread that I gave you out of heaven, you're going to think about the way in which I provided for you. That's connected to this whole idea of the principle of the Sabbath. It's the same as Deuteronomy 5, remember? Observe the Sabbath. Why? You're going to remember on the Sabbath that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and that I brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. You're going to observe the Sabbath, remembering me, remembering the fact that I am a God who saves, provides, over and over and over again for you. And so we have this Sabbath that's an institution, a ceremony, connected to the law, but we have this Sabbath that seems to be a principle, a principle, ceasing from work, resting, worshiping, remembering. Think about 1 Corinthians 11, when we come to the Lord's table and celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Two words that Paul references there that he's quoting in many ways Jesus at one point. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember, remember what I've done. And Paul at the end of that little little passage says that every time you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And so inherent in that, right, was this, its whole sense of remembering and proclaiming, remembering, worshiping. There's a principle inherent there that's in many ways the same as it's in the Sabbath. They were to do it. Yes, okay, it's a ceremony, it's an institution, great. You can't, you can't, you can't. But the point of it is you are to be following the principle of the Sabbath. And that's where the two kind of come together. You can't have the institution of the Sabbath or the ceremony without the principle that is behind it. If you lose the principle that's behind it, this is just a thing that you do. But you can't have the principle, some, the, the principle feeds the institution or the ceremony. Otherwise, it's just something that is, that is created for you to do that means nothing. But it means something because of the principle inherent rooted all the way back in God's own rest and creation. God is providing an example for us. And so we have to think about those two things before we can even start to think about what do we do with the Sabbath. All of this, all that I've just said for the last however long, is just so we can think about what do we do with the Sabbath. Because if we don't think this way, we can just dive into some way of thinking about the Sabbath that we could be leading ourselves astray. And in many ways, throwing the finished work of the Lord in his face. Turn with me to Matthew 12. We're going to start turning to how we are to deal with this. Matthew chapter 12. We don't have time to dig into all the details of this, but I want to just make a couple comments. If you know this, this is right after what I read at the beginning. Right? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. It's interesting that right before that, Right, right before this conversation about Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath in Matthew 12, verses 1 through 8, right before that is Jesus saying, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The way that the gospel, the way that the Bible is laid out is entirely intentional. Every story, every event, everything that's laid out is meant not just in the words themselves, but in the way in which it's structured for us is meant to teach us something. And right before, right after Jesus says, "Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." Of course, right after that, he's going to talk about the fact that he's Lord of the Sabbath. That's the Holy Spirit ordering things in such a way that we might understand something that perhaps we've missed. Let me read down verses one through eight. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. Maybe they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. What they were thinking that they were doing was harvesting. Plucking the heads of grain. Look, or verse 3, He said to them, Have you not read, that's Jesus saying, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread for the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says two interesting things after the Pharisees come and start to say your disciples are harvesting. They're breaking the Sabbath. He says, first of all, The example of David. And notice what Jesus says. He did what was not lawful for him to do. And Jesus basically says, that's okay. They were hungry. But before we just go, well, Jesus just gave us free license to do whatever we want. Because Jesus is great. And he's a great, great guy who lets us just do whatever we want. That's not what he's saying. Verse 5. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profaned the Sabbath? And are guiltless. The point of that is, even the priests in the temple are profaning the Sabbath. But yet they're guiltless. The whole point is in verse 7. If you had known, he's saying to the, the Pharisees, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. The point of it is, the Pharisees had mixed up and had forgotten about the principle that's inherent behind the ceremony of the Sabbath. When the Sabbath just becomes a bunch of things that you do or don't do on the Sabbath, and you've forgotten all about the principle inherent in it, you've missed the whole thing. Because you've missed the fact that the Lord who has created the Sabbath and given the Sabbath desires mercy and not sacrifice. Desires that you basically get the principle that's inherent behind the ceremony. Otherwise, the ceremony is useless to you. And then he finishes with, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. (laughs) The word through which everything was created, he knows, he remembers resting on the seventh day. Because he was there. He was the one through which everything was created. You better believe he's Lord of the Sabbath. That means he oversees all of it. I created the principle. I'm the one who rested on the seventh day. I know how to do it. (laughs) <laughs> and you're missing it. You're getting caught up in the fact that they're plucking heads of grain. And then he says, Have you not read? That's a wonderful, <laughs> stinging rebuke for us as we think about how we understand and are to understand things. Have you not read? Jesus saying that. Have you not read? In other words, read the Bible. <laughs> then you'll understand. Don't just come up with what so-and-so says or so-and-so says or how you feel about it or I feel this particular way or this is how I feel led. Have you not read? Not have you not felt? Pastor David read from Colossians 2 and we'll, we'll turn there next. Paul picks up on this whole idea talking about the Sabbath. He particularly mentions the Sabbath. And we'll just look at two verses. Verses 16 and 17 of Colossians 2. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are what? A shadow. Of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. The Sabbath as an institution, a ceremony, is but a shadow of things to come. And if you get caught up in the shadows, you're missing what it's ultimately pointed to. That's the whole book of Hebrews, right? If you get too caught up in all of the things, and all of the shadows, you're missing what it's pointing you to. You're missing what everything is leading you to. You're missing Christ, Well, but you've got to do this, and you can't do this on the Sabbath, and you've got to make sure that we... No! You're missing what it's pointing you to. Paul says, These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. He's Lord of the Sabbath. The substance, what it is, belongs to Christ. It's His. Just before that, Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ. Christ, the substance of all this, belongs to him, not just because he's God, but because he has given himself as a sacrifice and paid for everything. And so you better believe it's his, because not only did he make it, but he bought it with himself. And it's his. The substance, the principle behind the Sabbath is his. He's Lord of the Sabbath because he bought it, he made it, he created it, and he earned it, if you will, back through his death on the cross. And so it's his. Everything belongs to him. The substance is his. He is Lord of the Sabbath because of what he has done and completed. His finished work leads us straight to the principle of the Sabbath. Jesus has fulfilled the Sabbath because we remember Matthew 5, 17. He didn't come to abolish the law or prophets, but he came to fulfill them. He fulfilled the Sabbath. He fulfilled the ceremony and the institution of the Sabbath just as he fulfilled every other ceremonial and civil law underneath the Mosaic law, underneath the, the law attached to the covenant. You're not Israelites. Did you know that? But you are. (laughs) You're not underneath the Mosaic Covenant. You're not trying to live, to try to live up to the Mosaic Covenant. Christ has kept that for you. But, you're not off the hook with the Sabbath. And perhaps not in the way that you think. Jesus said in John 6, verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Remember when they, in Exodus 16, when they were to keep the Sabbath, right? Not collect any bread and rest. Jesus saying, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Yes, he's pointing to the fact that it's better, it gets better than manna, boys. A lot better. You get the Son of God. But he's also saying something about what they were to do back there. Don't collect on the seventh day. Because even that, that's part of the shadow. That's part of the shadow that's leading to Christ. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. I'm going to give you bread all the time. And you're never going to hunger. You don't even got to collect on any day. You're going to have bread overflowing through me. Living bread that will give life to the world. Through my flesh," he says. Hebrews three and four, chapters three and four, which we'll be in here at the end, but Hebrews three and four also talks about how Jesus basically fulfills the Sabbath, because the rest that Moses was bringing the people towards in the promised land, he never got to go there, did he? But Joshua didn't even do it either. Nobody did it. Jesus brings that rest that is promised. Jesus brings that rest that was intended, that is being foreshadowed. That's, you're, you're seeing there's a rest that they're going towards. Yes, it's the land. Maybe it's the land. Maybe it's going to happen. No, it doesn't happen. And you read through the Old Testament. When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And you get all the way to the end of the, the book of Nehemiah. And the book of Nehemiah essentially is... the. Pretty much the end of the historical part of the Old Testament. Some of the prophets go a little bit farther past that. But if you read a historical book, Nehemiah is sort of the end. And what's the last thing that's left on? It's the people breaking the Sabbath. After they had just promised that they would keep the Sabbath. But they can't. They can't stop breaking the Sabbath. And you read the end of Nehemiah wishing, can't there be somebody who can uphold the covenant? Can't there be somebody who can actually keep their word and do the things that it seems like the people can't do? And it's almost expecting the Gospel of Matthew to just explode onto the scene and tell us about Christ, who, yes, there's somebody who can keep the covenant and who can keep you in the covenant, because you can't. It's a wonderful anticipation that's left for us there as we read it. Jesus has fulfilled the Sabbath. He's Lord of the Sabbath. Now when we come to this and we start to think about what do we do with it? Pastor's series for us in Romans 12 through 14 helps us in this way because in some senses there is a matter of conscience when it comes to Sabbath. And I'm going to look particularly just at Romans 14. There is a matter of conscience here. Paul says in Romans 14, verse 5, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The danger of that last little phrase that we could run off with, and Pastor helped us with this, but I'm just refreshing our memory of this. You can be fully convinced of the wrong thing. Right? Right? And so there's a matter of conscience that we need to have that governs us here. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. But your convincing better be informed by truth. Your conscience better be shaped and molded by the truth, not by your opinions or how you feel or whatever else, or your context, or your culture, or your upbringing, right? But by truth. Yes, so there's, there's freedom here given as to how we think about the Sabbath. Well, I, don't mow, I personally, I don't mow my grass on Sundays. Pastor mentioned the same thing. It's just something that I don't do. But I had no way, and Pastor said this as much, there's no binding of your, go ahead, and, you're free in Christ to go mow your grass. Okay? But there's a sense in which How we understand the Sabbath must be rooted in that principle, that we are keeping ourselves in a sense of rest, pausing, remembering, worshiping to the Lord. Today is Sunday. It's not the Sabbath according to the Old Testament. In our statement of faith, we talk about that we keep the Lord's day, the resurrection day, as a day of worship. Acts shows us that. Early church tradition shows us that. And the Lord of the Sabbath is able to transition the day of when worship is to take place. But let me just be honest with you. Today is not my Sabbath. I don't rest very much on Sundays. Those of you that are in ministry, you don't rest on Sundays. Those of you that will go after this at 2 o'clock to the nursing home to do ministry... It's not very restful. That's okay, though. You're wringing yourself out for the Lord. But that principle of rest should be a pattern in your life somewhere. That principle of pausing, ceasing from work in an effort to worship the Lord, that it's a Sabbath to the Lord, not just, I'm going to take a day off. And maybe it's not a whole day. Don't get too confined with how and when and what not and what should and what should I do. You're missing the principle. Stay, keep your eyes focused on the principle inherent in the Sabbath. Order a pizza on Sunday for crying out loud. It's okay. Those people are happy to work and make the pizza for you. They're not breaking the Sabbath and neither are you. Don't get caught up in the ceremony and the institution that Christ has fulfilled and completed for you. Because when we get too caught up in the do nots and do's, we start to tell Jesus basically, Your work isn't complete enough. Let me help you and add to it. And anytime we say that through our actions, we never say that. But anytime we say that through our actions, we're throwing the Lord's finished work in his face and saying, It's not enough. Let me add. Let me help you out, Lord. Hebrews 4 is where we'll land the plane. I don't have enough time to go through all this, but I would commend it to you this week to read Hebrews 3 and 4. The author of Hebrews is weaving his way through this promise of rest. And it's hinged back in the rest that Jesus promises in Matthew 11 that I talked about. Find rest for your souls. Hebrews 4 and verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Notice this. Whose rest is it? His. You're promised to enter into God's rest. That's not just a promise that you would have rest. You're promised to enter into his rest. That's pretty good rest. And that's far beyond a bag of potato chips and sweatpants. That's far beyond the best vacation you could possibly imagine. That's far beyond the best retirement you could possibly plan. This is his rest. And that promise, what's with the promise? It still stands. Good news, verse 2, came to us just as to them, that is in the Old Testament. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. We're already, if you will, getting little samples of that rest now. We're tasting it now. We haven't gotten the whole picture yet, but we're tasting it. We who have believed enter that rest. We're, already, we're getting sort of the trailer, the spoilers of that rest. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. There was those who did not believe who did not enter. And those who do die apart from Christ do not enter his rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken somewhere of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. referencing Genesis 2. And again, in this passage, he said, "...they shall not enter my rest, those who don't believe. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, "...today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts." Folks, you have to hear this word today right now for you. If you do not have rest for your souls today, today is the day to enter into that rest. God, through Jesus Christ, is offering you that rest now. It's here and it's given to you. It's completed for you, finished for you, and you cannot get it anywhere else. Everything else promises it to you, but you will not get it like what he is promising. And he will deliver on his promise because he's faithful to do what he's promised. He's the only one who can do that. So don't set aside this offer. It's better than an offer, it's a completed work. It's finished. I said it last week God is not in the business of making sales pitches. He has finished, complete, done, finished salvation. And He shoves it right in your face, and you have a choice as to whether you will decide to accept it or not, to receive Jesus Christ as Lord, as Paul says in Colossians. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This is the Lord's word to you this morning. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if you've been sitting here for longer than I've been alive. But today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua, verse 8, had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. That's the shadow. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever, whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. That's what God is promising Uh, that That is what God has promised those of us who have entered this rest, those of us who have received Christ Jesus as Lord. We are beginning to get the beginning parts of that rest. There's an already not yet to that rest in which we've entered. And we get little tastes of it. The joy that keeps us in our lives amidst all kinds of the stuff that happens to us. The things that pulls us through difficult times. The things that gets us up in the morning. The things that helps us to sing to the Lord that Christ is enough and mean it. And feel a sense of the fact that we have a faithful and loving God who does not give up, who never grows impatient, who doesn't get tired, he doesn't slumber, and he keeps going with us. That's the rest that we have been offered and been given through Jesus Christ. And that's what you are offered now. So please, please do not set that aside. And don't cheapen it. It's not about what you can and cannot do. It's about what Christ has done. And so how you observe and keep the Sabbath, folks, is that you rest in the finished work of Christ. And you can do that every day. You can observe the Sabbath every day. Rest in Jesus Christ because everything that he has done for you is finished the name over which you your entire life, the, the title over all that you are is I have completed this for you. It's done, it's finished, and I have given you my grace through my son. Rest in that. Let's pray.